So this morning I wanted to chat about knowing Christ and what it means to know him. It begins by worshiping in the spirit. He says uh, in chapter 3, verse 1, In addition, my brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. To write to you again about this is no trouble for me and is a safeguard for you. The transformation begins in our relationship with God. Verse 2, watch out for the dogs, watch out for the evil workers, for those who mutilate the flesh. For we are the circumcision, the ones who, have, who worship by the Spirit of God and boast in Christ Jesus. And do not put confidence in the flesh. The real contrast in this whole text today is contrasting the work of human effort with the work of God bringing us close to him. And this story is a familiar story to, to all of us. And the thing that's contrasted very sharply is, is human effort and human achievement making ourselves right with God versus the opportunity to be right by God making us right with him by his work. Circumcision was the, was the procedure that... Uh, um, if you don't know the real details of it, go ahead and look it up. Uh, but basically, it's, it's the, the cutting of, of, uh, uh, of, the, of your male parts to make yourself, uh, they did this in infants, to, uh, as a sign that they would be made right with God, that they were a part of the family of God, practiced today still uh, medically, uh, and um, basically was a sign or a symbol given from the Old Testament that somebody was a part of the family of the community of God. And when somebody came from outside the, the, the realm of Jewish culture, Greeks, Romans, anybody outside of Jewish culture, this practice wasn't common. And so people who decided to follow Jesus then if then some were arguing they had to follow all of the Jewish laws to get them to make themselves right with God, and circumcision was one of the things that had to happen, except this had to happen as adults. And you know, in those days, without the procedures of, of or the benefit of modern medical science, and so you, you think it's you, you think it might be an obstacle today to help uh, your your friend kind of follow Jesus, and then you start explaining to them the different things that have to happen and and what it means to follow Jesus, and then uh, and, and and then there were those who were Jewish that argued that. To genuinely follow Jesus, you had to line up with all the Jewish laws to genuinely be made right with God. And Paul's argument, his whole argument through this whole text is, we are made right with God, not by human effort or human practices, but by faith in what Jesus has done. And that is referred to in verse 3 as worshiping in the Spirit. The, walk, the work of what it means to know Jesus, the opportunity of, to walk with Jesus, is the opportunity to experience a spiritual transformation from the inside out where God makes us right with him. Number two. And so what this is, is then relying on what Christ has done for us, verses seven to nine. So he says in verse seven, I once thought these things, all these different things that he practiced as a, as a really strict Jewish teacher, rabbi, follower of, of God from the Old Testament. He, he practiced 
a very stringent list of rules. He practiced Jewish culture and Jewish laws and Jewish rituals and Jewish uh, practices to the nth degree and was sort of, uh, was an amazingly high achiever in every one of those aspects and, and kind of like an over-performer. You know, you think of like the athlete that, you know, shows up to practice and then really, really turns out. I mean, there are some people that kind of just show up to practice and they go through the motions. And then there are some that, I mean, they are giving it everything. Like they sprint out to the field when, when, they're, when it's their turn to play. They don't just kind of like, you know, I mean, you know, it's like, and then you, know, you see the coach yelling from the sidelines, run! You know, I was like, you know. But these are the people that 110% from the second they're on the field to the second they're off. And then, and then, uh, and then, after hours, stadium is closed, nobody's watching, and they're out there doing sprints, you know? That's Paul. In terms of his desire of practices that will make himself right with God, to the nth degree to his Jewishness. So all these rules and all these practices, he says in verse 7, 3 verse 7, everything that was gained to me, I have considered to be a loss because of Christ. He considered the things that all these little practices extremely important. And yet when he compares them to what Jesus has done for him, now in hindsight, he considers them worthless. What this means in one aspect is that we have to be so dependent and God invites us to be completely dependent on him to be made right with himself. So he says, eventually he comes to the place where he says, um, well, he says in verse 3, um, for, we are, for we are the circumcision, the ones who worship by the Spirit of God and boast in Christ Jesus and do not put confidence in the flesh. Putting confidence in the flesh means the human effort part. So his whole spiritual framework was all about human effort and hoping God would be, be, and him would be straight because of his human effort. And then this whole thing turns upside down. And now I realize this, I can't put confidence in my flesh, in my effort. All of my confidence means to, needs to be in the work that Jesus has done for me. So everything is turned on its head. I once put all my confidence in human effort in the flesh, and now my confidence in the, is in Jesus. So you have to think about this in terms of how life works, a lot of life, and also how religion works in the world. So one of the things I thought about when I, when I was putting this together was the uniqueness of Christianity among the world religions. Because in the world of religion and really the world of life in general, virtually everything that we experience is the result of human effort and achievement. Particularly the world of religion outside of Jesus. So there's considered to be 10 major religions in the world in terms of numbers. So I'm going to list them for you. Christianity is the top, the highest number of people following, that are following the religion in the world. There's 2.1 billion Christians in the world. Uh, second is Islam, Islam Hinduism, uh, Chinese traditional religion, Buddhism, primal indigenous religions, African traditional dysphoric religions, Sikhism, Spiritism, and then 10th one, Judaism. In every one of these religions outside of Christianity, the way you are made right with God is by human effort and achievement. 
Because if you're making up a religion and you base the religion on human experience, virtually everything we do achieve is, is, is by, most of what we achieve is by, what, what we accomplish is by human effort and achievement. So let me list some of the things you have to do from the various religions to make yourself right with God, to close the gap between you and God because God, we understand, is perfect and we are fallen. So in Hinduism, you must study the main concepts, read the sacred tests, uh, the texts, accept the caste system, which means that you're reincarnated into, what, reincarnated into whatever your place is in the culture, meaning if you were born into a lower caste, then you're just above a beetle and your, your highest job that you can actually, actually perform, you know, in terms of your worthless, your, your value is, you know, like probably shoveling excrement in the streets. You really, you really have no response, you have no right to claim anything above that. And, and the real struggle in, for example, how this works in the modern world is that because uh, India is a democracy, which claims that really everybody is equal in terms of how the government votes and people who come take responsibility and they share the load and they vote on a constitution. And so actually what happened a little while ago, and, and so they can't base their political structure on the biggest, the largest population religion in the culture, because so, a democracy means by its fundamental aspect that everybody is Everybody is equal, everybody has a vote. And so what happened, one of the most scandalous things that happened in India a little while ago was the person that came, became the prime minister, the person that won the vote, happened to be from the untouchable class, the lowest caste system. And this was a real challenge for a lot of people because this person was the prime minister and yet was really considered because of his former spiritual experience and his achievement because you, how you're born in this life is based on how you behaved in the last life. You know, you didn't, so it created a lot of problems. So you have to study the scriptures, pay homage by building a fire, uh, worship your ancestors, help the poor, and, and etc. In Buddhism, let me give you some things from Buddhism. There's an eightfold path. You have to have right understanding, right thought, right speech, right action, right livelihood, right effort, right concentration. In Sikhism, uh, you, you must rise uh, you, you have to meditate, you have to wear a steel bracelet, you have to have long, uncut, and well-maintained hair, you have to always carry a wooden comb, you have to wear a certain type of clothing, particularly underwear, you always have to carry a sacred wep a weapon with you, uh, you have a life dedicated to God that's disciplined, you have to recite sacred prayers, uh, dress in a certain way, that's why you see certain people that are dressed in a, in a particular way in our culture that are different than how others are dressed, some of them are Sikhs and they're sincere in their faith, but th that's part of their way in which they make themselves right with God. So you could go through all the major religions and all the lists that they're following to close this distance between our brokenness and to make ourselves right with God by human effort. And basically it all lines up. Now in Judaism for Paul, it was being circumcised. It was sacrificing. It was following all the feasts and festivals. It was obeying the Sabbath and keeping the Sabbath. It was atonement through sacrifice keeping all the rules about diet and dress and how food is prepared and community. Every aspect of human behavior was governed and touched by the Jewish practices and Paul kept all of these to the T. Every aspect of his life, from the moment he got dressed in the morning till, till he uh, took his clothes off at night, everything he put into his mouth and everything he did was affected by a practice that had to be done 
to close the distance between himself and God. Now, let, let me ask you a question. If, if you had to make yourself right with God, and it was based on your effort to keep it all together perfectly at all times, okay, how, how would you rate where you're at with that program? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, are you killing it? If you, if you think you were like really killing it, every aspect, maybe even let's just line up the Ten Commandments. Lie, steal, kill, um, be faithful, uh, uh, sexually pure, every aspect. And not, not only in your behavior, but also Jesus says, if you hate your brother in your heart, it's the same as, right? And if, and if you lust in your heart, it's the same as, okay? So, so just line them all up. How, how many of you are just nailing that program? Never, like, bro, never, like, Talk to me afterwards if, you, if you're really nailing that. I'd like to, like to see if I could learn something from you. <laughs> because what, what we like to, what, what I've always said for years is that we're all a mess. As, as people who follow Jesus, we're all a mess. Whose mess are we? We are Jesus' mess. And who has made us right? Jesus. So, so in terms of our performance and our ability and in terms of the major religions, every time you come up against it, human nature says, oh boy, if it's really dependent on me and me killing it, I am, I am in serious trouble. So Paul is working hard. He's doing it to the nth degree. He's doing everything he can, and, and he is not making it. Here's the interesting thing about the, the story of God from, from the very early time to the time Jesus came until what it means to know Jesus now. The story of God begins with God creating the world and us perfectly, and then the fall enters in and the wheels come off the bus and everything goes south. In terms of our environment, in terms of my attitudes, I mean, who, who's really your worst enemy? I mean, if you're honest with yourself, nobody's lied to you more than you. Nobody's hurt you more than you. Nobody's Go right down the list. So, so, here, so that's, our, that's our problem, that God made the world perfect, that we are fallen, and that we, we need to be made right with him. And, 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 uh, and our problem is that we can't achieve that. So every aspect of life is based on performance. And Paul now comes to the place where he recognizes that because of what God has done, God knew we could never perform our way out of this problem, that we had to get out of this problem by a gift, by grace. And actually, if you read the story of God from beginning to end, it's always been about grace. So I just read through, I was reading through the Old Testament. I read through the Old Testament once a year and I read through the New Testament twice a year, just in my like private, this is just me, me and Jesus. And so one of the stories I ran across a little a while ago was the story of Naaman. This is a story from the Old Testament. And it kind of tip, uh, explains a little bit about the, the situation and maybe illustrates it from the Old Testament too. So Naaman is a commander in Syria's army and uh, he was a highly regarded military man. And, and you don't rise to the ranks in military unless you achieve stuff, right? I mean, you have to be a top-notch guy and you have to, for the most part, you have to make your way up through the ranks, you know. And so Naaman is a top-notch guy, but Naaman has a problem. He is a leper. Now, in those days, how are you going to fix leprosy? 
in the in the in the ancient world and and with their understanding of disease. it's 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 an incurable disease. And so his, he happens to have a servant girl who is Jewish. And the servant girl says, maybe you should go to the prophet in Israel and then you can go to the true God who has all power and you can be healed. So Naaman goes to the prophet and, and the prophet says to him, um, what you need to do to make yourself clean and be rid of leprosy, and Na- Naaman now, because he's a chiever, brings a, an entourage with him, his assistants, uh, pack animals loaded up with wealth. Because if you're going to try to get yourself healed from something that really is incurable, then you have to accomplish some great deed in any other human form of life, right? You know, like, like how are you going to get the, the king's daughter? You got to go kill the dragon, you know? So he's, he's loaded up. Go to the prophet. He's got his camels. He's got his entourage. He shows up to the prophet and he's ready to throw up everything, every penny he has, the wealth of, of, of a kingdom almost. And he shows up to the prophet's abode. And the prophet doesn't even come out to address him, even though he's a super important guy. Sends out his servant. Says, go bathe yourself, go, go, go down to the river and dunk yourself seven times. Okay, and, and he's, he, he is infuriated. He is insulted that he would be treated so disrespectfully. Number one, the guy didn't even come out. Number two, he told him, and so he says, well, don't I have better rivers at home that I could have just gone you know, up and down, up and down seven times? And That's just the silliest thing. And so his commanders, his, his assistants wisely say to him, Naaman, commander, if, if he had told you to do, go accomplish some great deed and then come back, w- would you not have done it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that would have been based on what? Human achievement. And he would have gone and done anything he could have to do that. Come back, conquered his enemies, or died in the effort. And they say, well, if we would have asked you to do that, would you have done it? Yeah. Well, now he's asking you to go to the river and go dunk seven times. So you've come this far. Why don't you just go try it? So he goes down to the river, down once, up. Oh, you're kidding me. Down once, up twice. Down, 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 down. He comes out the last time and he is as clean. As he, is, he is as clean as perfect could be. And now he realizes that knowing the true God is not based, being made right with the true God is not based on his, what? His effort. It is purely based on a gift. And you trace that thread of that story all the way through and it comes to Jesus and Paul is, is, is an amazingly uh, um, committed Jew who finally meets Jesus and understands being made right with God does not come from his effort of anything. And so when this controversy arises where, where Jews must, must uh, the new people who are following, decide to follow Jew, Jewish, uh, the Jewish Messiah, the new people who decide to follow Jesus and they come from a background that isn't Jewish, and, 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 and some are arguing back and forth, do they have to follow all the Jewish laws or not? Paul just weighs right in immediately and says, no, 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 no. It's not about, if, if it was about effort, if anybody could have done it, it would have been me. And I now consider all of my effort basically 
worthless. So, so we understand now, in a lot of ways, we understand things that are valuable. Think, think of life now. I want you to co- contrast things that are valuable versus things that are worthless. Because there are times in your life when you consider certain things extremely valuable and then certain things, cer- certain things worthless. We'll go to the pictures first and then I'll come to the text afterwards if we can. So, so let, me, let me show you some things. Okay, let me just pause for a second. If you want to know in the world, if you want to find out the difference between something of the price that somebody thinks something is worth versus the price that people are actually paying for it, there's two different places you can go on the web to find out what people are selling things for and then what they're actually worth. Because um, on Amazon, people will sell stuff for what they, what they think it's worth, but on eBay, people are what? They're bidding, right? And so when people are bidding, what you find out is actually what people are willing to pay for what they think it is. And then if they think it's valuable, then, you know, then people will kind of get into this bidding war and they'll go up and up and up. So there's stuff that at one point was really, really valuable. And you can, you can go, when you go, when you go down the street or if you go on vacation, you know, you, or you go to the store, or you go to the antique things, they have these things called collectibles, okay? Some of you have them on your shelf. You got these things called collectibles. And, and they're very valuable to some people, okay? And, and the, this is a Hummel. Now, on eBay, somebody throw out what you think this thing might be, somebody might be listing this for in terms of the price, the person selling this, in terms of the price you th- they think that th- that thing is worth. What, th- what is that thing selling for on, on, uh, on Amazon? That's the, what's the high price for that? What do you think the high price would be going for? They're trying to sell it for. Guess. Pardon me? Oh, no, this is the high price. They think... This is the person owning it that thinks this is what this is worth and this is what you should pay me for this valuable object. Huh? This, is, this, was, uh, this was this month on eBay in 2017. On Amazon, sorry. Amazon, on Amazon, it was selling for... On Amazon, it was selling for... Uh, $7,000. He posted it for $7,000. The same object on eBay was going for $19. That's what, it actually, that's what people actually bid it for and sold it. Now imagine if you were the person who paid $6,500 and thought you got a deal. It's like, I'm offering you six. And then the person counterbid, $6,500, fine, sold. And then you talk to your friend down the street. Yeah, I got that from $1,950. And you realized it's the same thing sitting on your shelf. Okay. Because all of, you have, all of you have that friend that you, you, know, you bought something and then they show you and they have the same thing and then you, they tell you what you paid, what they paid for that and you're like, Ugh! you know what I'm saying? Okay, so they, they're sold, they sold it for seven. Let me look at the next one here. Um, precious moments, right? Some of you got those on your shelf because that was big in the Christian uh, back a little while ago. Uh, Amazon, $12.50. eBay, what? $2.95. That's it. That's it. They, it. they actually bid for on eBay. Um, next one. Okay. This is actually a picture of me and my posse when I was hanging out back in the day. <laughs> actually, it's not me. I, n- none of those guys are me. But that was me back in the day. Okay. Because back in the day, that was the ride. 
I mean, if you wanted to be, you wanted to be styling, you wanted to be, you know, you wanted to be cool. Um, and and what, what, what got me on this picture was the thing I was thinking about was banana seat. Because nothing is cooler than banana seat, okay? Um, and that was, that was super cool back in the day. And at one point back in the day, that was super valuable to me. It's like, man, if I had that bike, I would be the coolest kid in the neighborhood. I would have all going on. All my kids would, all my posse would think, man, you are so cool, Bradley. Look at that bike. Look at that ride Bradley, that, that ride Bradley's got. It is so awesome. Now, here's the interesting thing, um, because if you really got it cool like I got it going on, then actually this thing is selling for Walmart now. Uh, keep going, next picture. Just so you know, that's Walmart right now for $450, $450. So, you know, if you really are styling and you really got good taste like I do, some things don't go out of taste, except the shorts that were in the picture back the other, the other picture. Those, those, don't, those don't stay in taste. Okay, so, so think of it. Th- thank you for going back to that picture. That's awesome. So, so, but here, here's the thing. So, so there's lots of things in your life you think at one time you thought was so important, but now you look back and you think, oh, I can't believe I was really into that. You, you know what I'm saying? Okay, so one of the things I was thinking in terms of how things work with, with young people today and stuff is gaming systems. So, uh, I, um, okay, there you go. Back in the day, that, that, was, ev- that was it. My, you, go to your, you would go to your friend's house and play that for five hours. I'm not kidding. And you would disappear. And you, you would, it was like the coolest thing in the whole world. And what was it? Two paddles that were like this. Okay? And, and, the, you know, and that, you would, that was everything. And then, and then uh, so, but here's the thing. What, 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 what was so cool to you and you wish you would have had back in the day and then just a little while later is now like uh, you consider it worthless? Okay, I'll just tell you right now, any, any game that's like six months old, because that's old, or, or, or any gaming system or whatever it is, that is the way life is, that sometimes we, we consider certain things so valuable, and then later on we realize what we thought was so important is really not very important at all. And when it comes to knowing God, one of the things that people think is important is their human effort and achievement. And one of the things that Paul says in this text is that the most important thing in knowing God is fully depending on what Jesus has done for us. And so what we do, it says in verse 10, is identify with Jesus. My goal is to know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings, being conformed to his death, assuming that I will somehow reach the resurrection from the dead. So as we worship, we're gonna take communion. Communion is the symbol of identifying with Jesus' sinless, perfect life, which I could never do, right? Because we've all, we've all fallen short. And, and yet, in spite of Jesus' sinless, perfect life, he gives himself up willingly and takes the punishment that we deserve to fall on us upon himself. And so he dies. And so the bread represents his body given for us freely. The cup represents his blood freely shed in spite of his sinless perfect life for our sin. And then this great exchange takes place where my fallenness goes to Jesus because of what he did on the cross. And all of Jesus' righteousness comes 
to me. So think, think of that moment for Paul. You have, this is what, one of the things you have to understand about following Jesus is this. You, you have to have this moment where you realize that you can never achieve this on your own and that you have to surrender your whole life to him and what he has done for you. See, being rescued is, is, a humbling, is a humbling thing. And that's what we are by Jesus. Imagine the moment when Paul, who lived every aspect of his life by all the little details and was working so hard about that, and also it down on the side was kind of proud, kind of carrying himself like this, like, man, I'm killing it. Man, I am awesome. I've made myself right with God, you losers. It's kind of like, how he was treating everybody. And then he realizes all of his effort could never get him one step closer to God. Jesus closed the gap for him. Jesus lived the life he couldn't live. Jesus died the death he deserved to die. Jesus defeated Satan's sin and death for him. And all of his fallenness fell on Jesus. And all of Jesus' righteousness comes to him. In the moment the thief hanging next to Jesus died on the cross, that thief, that unclean thief who died next to Jesus hanging on the cross and all of, all of his work, the only work he did was turn to Jesus and say, Father, or it says, Jesus, remember me when you come to your kingdom. That's all he did. And he was completely forgiven of all his sin. And Jesus says what? What does he say to him? This day you will what? With me. That's right. What, what work did he do? Did he get circumcised? Did he get baptized? Did he accomplish great works? Did he do good work? Did he ever give to a church? One penny. Where did he die? Hanging on that cross next to Jesus. And what did he do? He humbly came to Jesus in faith. And so everything we have in Jesus is represented here. And it's the opportunity we have to know Jesus and the power of his resurrection. Let's pray. Thank you, Jesus, for your grace, the opportunity to know you, to walk with you and glorify you. As we worship you now and sing, as we take communion, we are reminded of what you have, been, what you have done for us. And now, Father, also in thankfulness and in joy, we, we give our lives to you, but not in any way to earn our salvation, purely as a response of a child accepted adopted, brought into your family, and freely receiving grace. May you receive all the glory and you receive all the praise for what you have done for us. In Jesus' name, amen.